30 seconds has begun. Chair stops ready when you are. Uh, good afternoon and welcome to the February 15th, 2024 Administration Investment and Fiscal Management Board meeting. This meeting is now called to order. Clerk, will you please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you, Chair. Members, if you can please unmute. Member Yusuf? Present. Member Coletto is absent. Vice Chair Colville? Here. Member O'Toole? Present. And Chair Bader? Here. Thank you. We have quorum. All right, I'd like to remind members of the public, if you would like to speak on an agenda item, please turn in a speaker slip when the item begins. You'll have two minutes to speak once you are called on. And the first, uh, after the first speaker, we will no longer expect, accept speaker slips. So we will now proceed with today's agenda. Please rise for the opening acknowledgments in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Neosin people, the Southern Maidu, Valleys and Plains Miwok, Putwin, Wintun peoples, and people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. Please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, our first business of today is uh, approval of the consent calendar. Clerk, are there any members of the public that wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. I have no speakers for this item. Okay, are there any members that wish to speak on the consent calendar? No? Okay, is there a motion and a second for the consent calendar? And a second? I can second, please. Second, okay. So we have a first by member O'Toole and a second by member Coville. Please call the vote. Thank you. Members, if you can please unmute. Uh, member Yusuf? Aye. Member Coletto? Absent. Vice Chair Colville? Yes. Member O'Toole? Aye. And Chair Bader? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. Okay, we'll now proceed to the discussion calendar. Uh, the first item is the Seagull Marco Advisors Quarterly Investment Performance Report for December 2023. Okay, hello everyone. Uh, Jeff Nip from Seagull Marco. Uh, I've got our report up on the screen. Hopefully you can see it. Uh, so this, uh, this is through December, through year end. Uh, I'm, going to hit just on a few pages. Um, first, a, a little recap of, of what happened. Generally, a very good year for stocks, although in late summer, early fall, kind of August, September, October was, was a weak point. Uh, similarly for, for bonds. Bonds were very good in the first quarter, so-so in the second and third. October was the worst month of the year for stocks and bonds. And by the end of October, by Halloween, uh, the broad bond market index, the aggregate index, was actually negative year-to-date. Um, shortly after Halloween, really good inflation reports and other economic reports came out, uh, lower than expected inflation, uh, but, but still pretty good economic growth. So the markets, both stocks and bonds, just took off. Uh, and the story 
went from, oh, uh, is the Fed going to hike anymore? Their, their last hike was in July, to how soon will they start cutting rates? Uh, and so the last two months of the year, uh, the really, really strong for stocks and bonds. And you can see here on this page, for the quarter, the S&P 500 was up almost 12% and over 26% uh, for the year. International stocks in developed markets, also good, not quite as good, but up about 18% for the year. Emerging markets up close to 10. Really, China of the major world markets, China was the laggard. That's a big part of the emerging markets index. Between COVID lockdowns, property market issues, that, that really held China back relative to, to pretty much every major market. A little more detail on the next page on the U.S. equity market. I, I think a lot of you have probably heard uh, the magnificent seven, uh, the big tech companies that really dominated returns last year. Uh, almost all of them have something to do with artificial intelligence. Uh, and you can see that reflected in the year-to-date column. If you look down the third and fourth lines there, Russell 1000 growth, Russell 1000 value. Those big tech companies are in the growth benchmark, up that benchmark up over 42 percent. Uh, the value index, which is the financials, the energy companies, utilities, uh, up a little over 11. So a huge difference uh, in, in returns. And similarly, in the sectors down at the bottom right, uh, energy. Energy was the only positive sector in 2022. It was negative last year. Oil prices generally came down. Utilities were negative. But technology was up uh, almost 58 uh, percent in the S&P 500. So, so huge difference in, in sector and style returns last year. I'm going to skip ahead a couple pages. Uh, fixed income. So the yield curves on the upper right. And, and this, this is really the story. So the yellow line there is where we were at the end of June last year. The green line is where we ended the year. So not that much difference between the two. But along the way, the brown line was the end of September. So rates, even though the Fed didn't do anything since July, rates in the market were going up, especially at the longer end of the curve. Um, and then came sharply back down in November and December uh, once, once the news changed. And that feeds through into bond market returns. I mentioned that the aggregate index was negative year-to-date through October. Well, it ended up. 5.5% positive for the year. Um, so a really strong comeback uh, in the last two months, again, as, as rates fell. So since then, since the end of the year, uh, January for stocks was, was still pretty good, at, at, frankly, as has February. Earlier this week, we, we got some more inflation news that while inflation was down, it was still higher than expectations in the market. So stocks and bonds kind of sold off all in, all in one day earlier this week. Stocks have recovered the last couple of days. I, I think they're probably almost back to where they were. Uh, so the S&P 500 year-to-date so far is up somewhere in the neighborhood of 5%, I think. Bonds, bonds are negative because, again, yields in the market have gone back up. Uh, the 10-year Treasury yield, which had hit 5% back in October, then got down under 4%, now back up to, last I saw, about 4.2, something like that. Um, so, again, this kind of back up in rates. And the 
call it hopes that the Fed was going to start cutting in March. Well, I think pretty much everybody's taken that off the table. Now is it May, June? You know, when will they be able to start cutting? Uh, we'll see. But, but I think what we've seen, this is just typical market overreaction one way or the other to, to news, good, good or bad, as it's, as it's viewed in the, in the markets. So we've, we've seen this you know, pretty substantial volatility. Uh, but if, if you look through that, last year was, was a really good year for, for stocks and bonds. So again, I'm going to skip ahead a few pages, uh, and I'm going to go to this one, which is the allocations as of the end of the year uh, relative to target. So everything's pretty close. The large-cap growth portfolio in the, in the domestic equity is a little bit overweight, which is to be expected just given the relative outperformance of those types of stocks uh, versus the rest of the market. Uh, but everything's pretty tight. A little over 1% in cash. That's, that was spent down a little bit from the, the September quarter end. Um, but again, everything, everything pretty close to targets there. And a total fund value down at the bottom there, uh, about $254 million as of year end. And then a couple pages further on, we have the performance. So for the quarter, up over 9% in the total fund. Uh, for the fiscal year to date, so the last half of, of last year, 6.2. And for the calendar year, 14.6. So very healthy returns. Obviously, those are well ahead of the actuarial assumption and ahead of the custom index, the, the benchmark index, which is based on the components of, of the portfolio. Um, each of the individual components, so there's two equity portfolios, large cap growth and equity income. Both of those have outperformed their benchmarks. Uh, the international equity portfolio similarly has outperformed uh, very healthily, uh, as has the fixed income portfolio. Matched the index in the quarter, but, but for the calendar year, uh, almost 3% uh, ahead. So, so very good relative results and, you know, 14.5% for the calendar year, that's, that's very healthy, absolute results, too. And the first half of the fiscal year, very, very solid. Uh, that's, that's really all I had. Happy to take questions. Do we have any speakers on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speakers lists. Okay. Do we have any uh, members that would like to speak on the item? Oh. Member Yusuf? Yeah, hi there. Uh, thank you for the presentation. Um, with the sort of outlay of uh, the Fed's potentially cutting rates and the S&P being, you know, priced pretty pretty well, um, is there any parts of the market that we think would be more advantageous to get into, such as small caps or maybe even emerging markets that might provide some outperformance for, for the year? Uh if, if you ask me for a sort of 10 to 20 year projection, I would say, yeah, those areas probably, probably will do relatively better in a shorter term. You know, this year, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, and the, this, this dominance of large cap U.S. stocks has gone on for a while. Uh, and, you know, we, we kind of all know why it is. And the, the latest thing has been this artificial intelligence boost to a, a, a certain small, pretty small subset of stocks. Um, it's it, generally, I would say, healthier if, if market returns are more spread out or are broader. The smaller cap stocks have definitely lagged. 
but you know, still, still healthy returns in an absolute sense, just not keeping up with those, those big tech companies. Uh, trying, trying to do a tactical uh, move is very difficult. Um, and, and I think given the nature of, of this fund, um, things like, especially emerging markets, which are very volatile uh, types of strategies, probably, probably not something you need. Even if you put a little bit in, you really wouldn't notice the difference, frankly, at a, at a small allocation. Are, are we allowed to have small cap positions within the portfolio? Or? We have had them in the past. We have had them in the past um, in the form of ETFs. Um, okay. Not so much single stock exposure. Um, we did have some single stock exposure, I would say, to more mid-caps uh, probably five, six years ago. But we've really pivoted toward a more conservative portfolio. Okay. All right. Thank you. Any other members? All right. Thank you for the presentation. Thank you. Uh, let's see. We get a motion and a second from the item. I motion. Uh, motion by Member Yusuf and a second. Second. Second by Member O'Toole. Uh, clerk, could you please call the vote? Thank you, Chair. Members, if you can please unmute. Member Yusuf. Aye. Member Coletto. Is absent. Vice Chair Colville. Yes. Member O'Toole. Aye. And Chair Bader. Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. Okay, the next item on the agenda is the SCURS Quarterly Investment Report for December 2023. Good afternoon. I am going to touch on a couple quick things in Jeff's report, and then I'm going to bring us more current as to what we've been seeing since 1231 when all of our reports cut off. Um, Jeff did a great job going through all the numbers. I just wanted to uh, take a moment and point out this slide that's on the screen right now, page 15. Um, so you can see the option program that we're currently running right now as a negative return for the fiscal year. And this is simply a product of running a program that does best in a sideways market, a market that goes down and a market that goes up a little bit. Um, the outsized equity gains we've seen obviously have dragged on the performance for this portfolio. Um, just to give you a little bit of a history on the portfolio, um, probably five to seven years ago, as the treasurer knows, he was very involved in running it. The portfolio probably had about 50% of the options were covering the underlying portfolio. To date, we run about 10 to 15% of the underlying portfolio, so it's super conservative. We probably are writing about 5 to 10 million of underlying on this every single month. But the huge moves we've seen in some of these names are the reason for these uh, negative returns year to date. So we always weigh every single contract with um, the conservatively, you know, we look at this as an income generator and an insurance policy if the market ever does go sideways or start to go down. So I just wanted to touch on this because it's the first time um, we've seen, you know, pretty good negative returns on this. So I'm happy to answer any questions on it. Were all of the option contracts covered? Yes. Okay. Yes, right. that's Thank all that um, we're, we're allowed to only sell covered contracts okay. in the policy or buy puts um, that we don't have to have the um, opposing um, underlying security on. Okay. Thank you. 
Hey, Stace, can you give the board an idea of how you derive what you're going to write and some of the volatilities on some of the names? This sure. Recently? So um, the first thing we look at is how many shares we own. And actually, as a result of so many shares in the market now being several hundred dollars in the stock price, we may own a large position, but we own a few number of shares. So we traditionally won't write less than 100 contracts, and so we need to own 10,000 shares. We do do some a little bit smaller, but it just becomes cost prohibitive to do contracts when, when there's not a lot of um, actual uh, contracts to sell. So we look at that, and then some of the other things I look at are when is this company going to report earnings? So we'll take that into account and kind of build a buffer of how much do we think they're going to move between when we put the option on and when we close it out. We don't go more than 30 days. We do monthly options, and so as we approach the end, we'll either roll it, close it, or let it expire worthless, which honestly hasn't happened in quite a while with the run-up in the markets. Um, so we'll look at the historical moves it, that the equities will have when they um, report earnings, and so we'll use that in the calculation. So we're trying to be just make a little bit of money on the position, but we're not going to um, be really aggressive in what we call write it tight, which means any little move, we'll send it through it. So we'll look and weigh all of those factors. And in addition to, we'll see if it goes X for dividend during that time period, because that will affect the underlying stock price as well. So what's an example that we, you saw this or something ran up 8% or something? Um, so, sure. So the SMH, which is the semiconductor ETF, moved about 9 to 10% in four days after writing it. So those positions are underwater. We carry them underwater because we really have close to the expiration date to, to address them. And the odds of someone calling it away that early in the cycle um, are pretty low. So we usually, if we have something that's trading drastically through, we really will start addressing that the week of expiration. So in those kind of situations, you know, I'll write on something because something's up 8% in one day. Wow, that's, that seems like an outsized move. And then it just continues to run up. But then we have the rest of that contract cycle to see if, if um, we have sellers come back in the market and bring it down to more realistic levels. So I now want to talk about what's happened since December. Jeff mentioned it, and he is right. Since December 31st, the S&P is up about 5% through yesterday. Today, the market's up again. Um, a lot of this was and is based on the hopes that the Fed would be cutting rates sooner rather than later. But with the CPI release on Tuesday that Jeff mentioned, um, the estimates for the, fir for the first cut now has shifted to the second half of the fiscal year. Um, it looks like it's lining up around June for most of the people who think the first cut's going to be. Um, so while we did see a big sell-off and um, treasuries obviously uh, were hurt as well in the sense that rates were going back up, it's been relatively flat since, and we've recovered a great deal of it on Wednesday and today. Um, I walked out right before the markets closed, but I think um, the, st the Dow was up about 350 points today, whereas, you know, the headline on Tuesday was it lost, you know, intraday it was down between five and 700. So while everyone was not happy about that number on Tuesday, it seems to be ancient history 48 hours later. So, um, so we are looking at half, second half of the year, and the market is pricing in that if, if it lines up with June, we may see three, three to four rate cuts between now and December 31st, um, three to four 25 basis point rate cuts. So a far cry from one year ago when everyone was project, projecting six to eight rate cuts in 2024. 
So for the portfolios, we did sell into the run-up in January. Um, as you saw on the graph, the operating fund had been decreased between September and October, and we did have $5 million requirement to deposit into the operating fund by January 31st. So we, we, sold, we sold securities into the run-up in January, and we've refilled that bucket. Our next operating raise um, will be in April. Uh, for another $5 million, and we have them probably about every three to four months going forward for this fiscal year, for the next fiscal year. So the last thing I wanted to mention is at the next meeting, we will be going over the asset allocation, and we've had internal discussions about the objective of the international portfolio, which I agree with Jeff that the way this portfolio is structured, originally the international fund was there to serve as diversification, and to add a little bit of alpha. Um, and now with a current 5% allocation, its impact on the portfolio is almost non-existent, to be perfectly honest. Um, so we're looking to reduce that allocation when it's time to do our study down to, from 5 to 2.5%. And we'll ha be having Siegel run analysis to show if we do take 2.5% out of the international portfolio, how will that affect the portfolio's long-term expected returns over the next 10 years. So currently, we've actually uh, liquidated some of the international portfolio. It is still sitting in the international portfolio in its own liquidity bucket at Caltrust, and so it's earning 5.43% right now. So those funds are still sitting there, and as we wait on the asset allocation reports, which we usually get around March, April, we'll know if we're gonna keep those funds in there or move them out, but the plan would be that as we look towards April to have to raise funds again for the operating account, we'll have a bucket of money sitting there that we could, if we need to, take funds from to help um, fill that bucket without being forced sellers in case the market has um, turned the other direction. So that's the plan right now. Um, so we'll be back in April with uh, the interest rate credit to members, the asset allocation plan, and the affirming the investment policy for the next year. And I'm happy to take any more questions. Well, thank you for the presentation. Sure. Are there any members that would like to speak? Oh, I'm sorry. Any members of the public would like to speak? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips. Members would like to speak on the item? Hi. Thanks Hi. again. Uh, for the uh, international portion of the portfolio, is that just equities, or is there any um, high-quality fixed income in there? So it's um, all it is is the Acquiex, which is um, a MS. It's a, just an ETF, and that is actually what we're invested in, and that is also our benchmark. So we, in theory, should tie pretty tightly against our benchmark, but um, the way it was explained to me is that the reason we don't match our benchmark is um, the currency changes overnight. So from when our markets price something versus there. So day to day, it changes and kind of goes back and forth. But we've, um, we did used to have a position in emerging markets ETFs, but we took that off and we just were strictly in our benchmark. For the international markets, do we not think in the next 10 years that that would be a source of either outperformance or diversification moving forward at least? Well, as Jeff kind of mentioned, the, the, conserv the, not conservative, the mature portfolio that we have doesn't lend itself to taking on more risk at this point. So we're looking more to insulate the portfolio for what we have right now as to trying to you know, make some outsized gains on a tiny portion of the portfolio. But when Jeff's group runs their report, if it shows um, negatively that going from 5% to 2.5% in that bucket will lead to us not reaching our actuarial assumption, we'll, we'll have to discuss that. 
Yeah, and to move more on that, um, like Stacey did mention, we did have an allocation to emerging markets. But if you look historically, international markets have greatly underperformed domestic markets. And then you throw in the geopolitical problems and the currency risk and things like that. Maybe long term, you might add incremental alpha to it, but the reality is I think the risk is outweighs the, the, the return on it. So, and, and the returns have been better in the domestic market. So. And actually, Siegel will project out not only 10 years, but 20 years for us. So we'll be able to compare both of those time frames and see what the difference will be for that international bucket. Okay. Is, is that going to be somewhat similar to the rest of the portfolio moving forward, where we're just going to start reducing some of the risk? Like, are we going to eventually maybe lower down some of the large cap growth and maybe just move to value just as the portfolio continues to mature? Is that Right. I mean, I think it's natural that we've seen such a huge run-up in growth that the reversion is going to be more towards the value side, uh, definitely. Um, we are always looking at that and trying to. And so when we did sales in January, we were selling some of the names that had really grown pretty rapidly. Um, when they get to be too big, we just start to um, take pieces off and sell into those. So as we continue to raise for operating funds, I'm always looking at the ones that have grown too much too fast. So those will be the ones that we'll definitely look at. Have we considered just moving into fixed income? Let's so the, the two, yeah. So the two and a half percent. If we do end up taking it out of the international portfolio, I would probably propose moving it over to fixed income, taking advantage of an elevated uh, interest rate environment and locking those locking those rates in. I don't want to say it's going to be too late, but I mean, <laughs> as we kind of continue, uh -huh. um, are we going to potentially lose some basis points while sort of pushing out this decision? Well, um, so we'll come to the board in April, and we have the ability to trade. Uh, if the board approves it, we have the ability to start trading right then in April okay. to be as close as we can starting July 1 to the new allocations. So okay. we don't have to wait till July 1st to start enacting that proposal. Right. And we have 5% bans on either side of our allocations. So right now, even if we went down to 1% in international and moved that money over, we still are within our um, requirements because we're within 5%. So doing, um, taking it down to 25 and putting that over into f um, the fixed fund would just be more like a formality to um, get it into the, for the new fiscal year. Okay. Yep. All right. Thank you. I mean, plus it's sitting in the couch trust earning five plus, five, and you're going to think three. if the yeah. Fed starts dropping rates, it's going to happen more to the front end of the curve, and Correct. the back end of the curve is already yes. kind of reacted yes. to it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're really looking at too much of an opportunity cost at this point. Right, we're looking at like eight, eight to ten weeks at this point. And so, um, as John mentioned, the Caltrust liquidity funds at five point four three, and. Now that we're not looking for a rate cut until possibly May, June, um, I feel pretty comfortable that, it, that those funds are going to be sitting in there at least earning that 5.4, around 5.43 until we have the opportunity to send it over to the fix and lock it up for, you know, more than, more than hopefully two to five years. And just for clarification, we'd be back to take action on May 16th. We just looked at the date. So oh, is it May? Okay. Yeah. It's sometimes it's April, sometimes it's May, so. Right. Um, so this requires a motion. Can I get a first and a second? I'll make a motion, Chair. Right. First by Member Coville. Second. I'll second. Second by Member O'Toole. Uh, Clerk, can we please get a vote? Thank you, Chair. Members, if you can please unmute. Uh, Member Yusuf? Aye. Member Coletto is absent. Vice Chair Coville? Yes. Member O'Toole? Aye. And Chair Bader? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. 
All right, the next item is the SCRS annual uh, financial report for fiscal year 2023. This is a receive and file. Um, hello, my name is Osvaldo Lopez. I'm the finance manager uh, in the finance department. And today, <clears throat> I will be presenting the results of the financial statement audit related to the Sacramento City Employee Retirement System, SCARES, for the year ended June 30, 2023. The financial statements for SCARES were audited by the independent audit firm, Macias Ginian Ocono, MGO, and I'm pleased to announce that we got a clean um, opinion. This is called an unmodified opinion uh, in the audit. Uh, so um, in the report that <clears throat> is um, attached for this item, uh, you can see the opinion on pages 12 through 15 if you need additional information. Um, I will be presenting some of the biggest movements. So, so um, <clears throat> some of the biggest changes uh, during the fiscal year 23 is, um, and I don't know if that's big enough, um, so the net, net position for restricted, um, net position restricted for pension, as you can see at the end of the report, decreased by 4.2 million when compared to the previous year. This was mainly due to um, the changes in the assets and liabilities, as you can see here, some of the biggest changes that we can see is in the cash and equivalents that went from uh, 7.8 million to 4.4 million. Um, or <clears throat> typically our assets and liabilities, they, they don't change too much. Uh, the investments, they went from 247.7 million to 244.7. Um, the biggest change that we can see is in the liabilities for the benefits payable. Usually our payments for benefits are consistent year to, to year. Um, the liability, however, depend on the timing of the payment. So in this case for fiscal year 23, the payments for the benefits uh, were made exactly on June 30th, uh, when the previous year for the 2.289 uh, were made on July. And therefore that's why we have this big change. But you can see uh, that our cash uh, change in correlation to this. We made the payment, so the cash decreased. So that, that was the biggest pay change that we can see on the statement of net position here. Now, um, if we go to, sorry, let me see. Let me see if I can. If we go to page uh, 21 of the report, um, here we see that <clears throat> similar to, um, assets and liability or uh, contributions and deductions, they don't change too much. However, in fiscal year 23, we can see that our total contributions went from 3.5 million to 3,000. This was a big change and this is the first time that we do this. And uh, the reason for this is that based on the funding status of the plan and based on the valuation report, uh, there was not a contribution for the city during fiscal year 23. Just the, the valuation report say, hey, you are almost fully funded. At the time that they gave us that contribution, we were actually uh, over 100%. So they, they say, hey, don't contribute during fiscal year 23. And that's where we see that big change. Now, related to the investment, in fiscal year 22, um, not the best year for investment. So um, 
we had an investment loss of 31 million and fiscal year 23 was better. Um, we have a 24.3 million um, income. Big exchange here, as you can see, is on the net appreciation, depreciation in the fair value of the investments. There was a depreciation of 37.6 million during fiscal year 22 compared to a 17.5 million um, appreciation during fiscal year 23. So um, other than that, um, let me show this here. The other thing that um, I would like to mention is related to the uh, city net pension liability. So um, as of 6-30-23, uh, the liability for the plan is 11.8 million, uh, which is a decrease in the liability of 4.6 million when compared to fiscal year 22 balance. Uh, the balance as for the previous year was 16.4 million. Now also the funding status increased. Uh, during fiscal year 22, we were 94% funding. As of 6-30-23, we're at 95.5% funding. Um, and the last thing, as we know, this is a closed plan. Uh, the members in the plan keep getting smaller, uh, the number of members. We went from 828 members uh, during fiscal year 22 to only um, 780 as of fiscal year 23 with only one active member as of 63023. Uh, with that, I conclude my presentation. Do you have any questions? Um, Ms. Waldo, so for uh, 24, the general fund contributed $1.3 million towards uh, the SCRS fund, and we're looking at 25 development, obviously a shortfall. Um, I know investment returns are looking pretty solid so far. And I think we're supposed to make another $1.2 million of general fund contributions. Mm -hmm. Based on the fund performance so far for 25, do you think that's necessary for, um, for budgeting for next fiscal year? So I, I have that in here too. So... So basically, this is based on the evaluation report. So based on the funding status, um, I don't see that this should be necessary. However, now, uh, based on the most recent evaluation report, they are saying that we should contribute that, that amount, and that's why it's budgeted. I think that that's a valid point to talk to uh, Foster and Foster and say, hey, basically, based on the current status, is there a way that we can modify these amounts? Because for fiscal year 24, as you're saying, it was budgeted 1.4 million, and the next year is 1.3 million, so. Um, but it isn't something we could formally take action on prior to the proposed budget of April 30th, when we adopt, basically. Um, we Trying to figure out if there's anything formally we could do if we don't have to set those funds aside. Yeah, let me contact Foster and Foster and see basically what we can do about it, and then I can get back to you. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, are there, um, are there members of the public? <laughs> Thank you, Chair. We have no speakers left. Uh, any other members? Yeah, on what you just said, um, I, I know your perspective. I know your role in the budget process. Um, I know you're mandated to try to save $50 million somewhere. Um, but, our, but I think we're required to make the contribution based on what our actuary says. I don't think, we, I don't think it's... Uh, you know, yeah. we, we can't guarantee returns from now until June 30th that are going to 
Yeah, that, that's my understanding. That's why yeah. I mentioned that based on the evaluation report, we're required to contribute. That's why I asked the question, because yeah. I know, I mean, yeah. we're at 95%. We're trending that way. I know that we dropped the interest rate from, you know, the return from 65 to 6%. I didn't know if there was that flexibility or not. That's why yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we, it's a, it's a whim kind of thing. I think it has to be required, but yeah, I, okay. I'd ask them. But I think it's in the documents, Jeff. I think that we're required to make the contributions that our actuary suggests, because I know we're, that's what surprised me before is when you said we didn't make any contributions. I thought we were required to make at least the normal. Uh, yeah, but... We, we um, had like a three-year period where we were super funded, two or three years, and we had no general fund requirement. We're, now we're teetering right around 90 95%, so it's come back into play. Yeah. yeah, but I thought we had to make a normal payment anyway based on... But I guess that's minimal because there's only one active employee left, so yeah. probably... So, yeah, uh, during fiscal year 23, the evaluation report indicated that we were not required to make any payments and... Thank you for the presentation. All right, thank you. That was a receive and file. Uh, the last item on the agenda is selection of the chair and vice chair for calendar year 2024, and I don't know, is this you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Chair. Uh, good afternoon, my name is Cecilia Ventris from the Office of City Clerk. There is no staff presentation on this item. All information is detailed in your staff report. However, I will remind members of a few things. Members may nominate another member or themselves for chair or vice chair. Typically, nominations will be heard for the chair position and followed by nominations for vice chair. A member may serve as a chairperson or vice chairperson for no more than two calendar years. The newly elected chairperson and vice chairperson will start their terms at the next regular meeting. Um, of the current roster, all members are eligible to serve as chair. However, member Bader is not eligible to serve as vice chair as they have served for two calendar years in this position. All other members are eligible to serve as vice chair. Okay, who wants it? <laughs> I would like to keep the status quo just because we're, I'm, I'm at least new to the board, so I wouldn't want to lead it just yet, so. Okay, well, I I would nominate you guys to stay in your current roles. So this is, I guess, my sure last year of eligibility, well. right? As we get to the stipend, is that why? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Uh, okay, that's okay. Because of what was brought to our attention earlier with Understood. Being, uh, consecutive years or two calendar years. Okay, so it sounds like we need, we're going to pass a motion where I would stay as chair and member Kobo would stay as uh, vice chair for one more year. Okay, I guess we need a vote. Do you second? I second, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then members, if you can please unmute. Uh, member Yusuf. Aye. Member Coletto is absent. Vice Chair Colville. Yes. Member O'Toole. Aye. And Chair Bader. Yes. Thank you, motion passes. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, um, any other items that the committee would like to speak on? Oh, okay. Oh. Well, I'd like to, um, Stacy and I were talking about this earlier, and I think we'd like to find out, uh, maybe have staff look at it. Um, we haven't, and this kind of goes down your, your um, ballywick a little bit, is we really haven't raised the fees that, that the, the plan pays the treasurer to manage the money for, Stacy, please help me, 25 years. 25 years. So it's basically, I think it's a flat fee of 34 basis points. 
Yeah, and um, and I'm sure Jeff could help us out with this, but most investment managers, their basis points are based on the asset. You know, I mean, you're going to earn more basis on an international portfolio, small cap portfolio versus a. So I think it'd be worthwhile to find out one. Is it appropriate to raise the rates? Are, are we in line with, you know, what PERS and SERS and, and a lot of the other you know, investment managers are doing? And then who would, and my question to Jeff is, would that be the board approving that or would be the main council approving that? Yeah, I, I have to, I know that we did this like 20, 20 yeah. years. to any issues that we had and what we needed to do just to make sure that we dot our I's and cross our T's if we're gonna if we're gonna do that. So I mean because I mean just if we're getting underpaid it's gonna help the whole city budget, right? I mean because right now 34 base points, it's about eight hundred thousand, eight hundred and something thousand dollars a year. And um, when it was first established we had assets of over three hundred million, so it was about one point one, one point two. So So are we formally agendizing this to review it in May? Is that Asking staff to review it in May? Well, let me, if, if I may, just sort of like look into it. And if it makes sense to agendize it, that's fine. I mean, I know that there is a, a demarcation between certain things that are, you know, clearly can be paid for with SCRS funds and certain things that can't. Your, you know, sort of general administration fees cannot, but certain like services can. You know, for example, outside legal counsel, for example, can't. So, let me just look into it. If it makes sense to come back to the AFM board, we can we can agendize that for May, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm sure it's an appropriate expense. I'm just wondering who has to approve the... the yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Does, does that go to the city treasurer office, or how, do, how would that get paid, or how does that get paid? I'm not it familiar. It comes into the city treasurer's budget. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. So you just have... Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's how... So we're a revenue producer. We're one of the only revenue producers, other than probably code enforcement. I think we take a port. So whatever that fee is, we get a small portion of it, and then the rest of it goes out to um, the general fund, I believe. I don't know. Jason could probably speak to that. Revenues, I don't know. Uh, for which piece? Sorry. For uh, management fees that come into my office. Um, it's, it generates our budget. Yeah, it's in offsets. your budget. Yeah, it's, it offsets the cost of your operations. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, let's see. Last item is public comments. Not matters not on the agenda. Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips. Alrighty. Uh, this concludes today's agenda. We'll be back on May sixteenth. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your participation. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you.